into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America. As long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. Hello, motherfuckers. Welcome to Pod Damn America. The goth socialist podcast. I am Jake Flores, the king of all governors. I've, I've decided I'm going to start making up titles for myself. Uh, or the original king of all governors. I came up with that on this podcast I did with these uh, weirdos in Boston a week ago. Um, king of all governors. The king of the original king of all governors. Like I just the want, president. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's a bit. I'm going to start coming up with like Daenerys Targaryen t- style nicknames, like I'm uh, a celebrity boxer or something. Um, we should we should all make them. Duke Flores. Duke, the original mm-hmm. king of dukes. Um, hello everyone. Greetings of the motherfucking damned, uh, and welcome to the show. Uh, this week, I have with me Anders Lee. Anders Lee here. I'm wearing a black shirt. <laughs> wow, wow, a bold-faced lie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this isn't black? Is that... That looks gray to me. Well, it was black at one point. Oh, even... Definitely even, not black. All right. That's even more metal. It's like faded. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, returning guest to the show, Naomi Caravani. Welcome back. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, and another guest... Uh, we'll be talking to today Melly Macker, author of a, uh, a medium post, a medium piece about um, uh, how to talk to people, how to argue during the uh, draconian abortion bans. To argue at all. Right? Yeah. 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 Which we'll get into. Uh, welcome to the show, Melly. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I guess uh, we'll just start off right with your piece. Um, I don't really feel that I, like we need to uh, <laughs> explain too much to the audience of what's going on. If you live in America, you're probably aware right now uh, that various states are introducing backdoor abortion bans in sort of an attempt uh, to you probably eventually overturn Roe versus Wade. This has sort of been uh, the groundwork has been laid for it since like Kavanaugh. Mm. Um and, uh, you know, obviously it's causing a lot of um, uh, dialogue and, and uh, uh, discourse and shit. And uh, we've gonna, we're going to find ourselves arguing with pro-life people. They're sort of rearing their heads right now. They're not here today, though. Right? <laughs> yeah. They're not really I'm leaving. People. Our audience is split down the middle. Pro-life, pro-choice. That's definitely true. Our audience is pro-death. They're gone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm speaking to the perfect audience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about this piece you wrote and uh, why you wrote it. Um, Well, okay. So uh, I've been uh, an advocate for reproductive rights for a while. Um, I worked for Planned Parenthood for like two years doing um, volunteer organizing and um, just general advocacy work with them. And uh, I ran into a lot of... Like, especially when dealing with volunteers that would join Planned Parenthood um, specifically to advocate for uh, reproductive rights, like birth control and abortion. Um, one thing that was really, really difficult to get a hold of was uh, people's desire to just argue with, with pro-life people, like that's going to do anything. And 
like thanks to all these laws that have been passed, there's a lot of just general discussion that's been going on. Um, and none of it's particularly good and it's never going to be fruitful. And so I just wanted to offer some like insight and guidance on how to actually discuss this with like hardline pro-life people and effectively like you just shouldn't, you should never talk to them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I tend to agree. Um, and it's not, it's not because like, I mean, you're never going to persuade them, but also like there's a, a certain like line of thinking that these people get into that you're just never going to be able to crack because it's an activism for them. That's deeply personal, um, that they're able to integrate their own like personality and their day-to-day life in, um, that it kind of transcends just like being committed to a religious ideology, which a lot of people seem to think you can just reduce it down to Jesus, but you can't do that because of how just like complex and, um, the historical narrative of the pro-life movement has been. Um, and then I think that like specifically for people on the left, like we get really caught up with like, what can we do? What are the things that we're going to do to counter these laws? Like, I don't know if you saw on Facebook or on social media in general, right after the Georgia law was passed, there were a bunch of people talking about like, oh, we're going to set up this thing called an anti-network. And all of the aunties are going to secretly like ferry women across state lines to get abortion. And it's like, can you just, just stop, stop doing that. (laughs) 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 There's been a lot of people doing things already that you can help out. Um, we don't need an abortion cruise. (laughs) I mean, that that literally exists. (laughs) There's literally a boat. Yeah. (laughs) There's a boat that like, you can go to to get an abortion if it's illegal in your country. It, uh, yeah. like, they just go out to international waters and do the deed. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. It's something like really meaningful, like viability or something. Oh, it's done by um, a pirate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically someone a pirate who looks just like Jake. Crew. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> I should uh, properly introduce your piece. By the way, I didn't have it pulled up when I started talking about this, but for anyone listening, it'll obviously be linked to in the notes. It's called "A Brief Guide to Arguing About Abortion for Leftists in the Summer of uh, 2019," which uh, I is important the way it's framed i think because uh we're in a specific moment and it's from a left perspective obviously we're going to understand uh yeah that some of the uh the the things that are happening right now that are insufficient are insufficient because they are from bougie like you know rich rich white people anti-abortion or uh whatever uh pro-choice groups and shit like that yeah yeah um and actually like that's kind of A lot of, I didn't really get into this in the piece, but there's a a significant amount of, like, the the discussion that's going on surrounding, like, what we can do in this exact moment. Um, People keep mentioning and bringing up organizations like Sister Song um, that do reproductive justice or abortion funds that you should donate to. And it's, like, the history of why those exist outside of, you know, efforts like NARAL or Planned Parenthood, like, larger mostly like historically white um like very well financed organizations the reason that that the smaller groups like the abortion funds and um sister song exist to provide access is because like right after roe was decided um there's this this history leading up to roe where basically every feminist movement kind of came together in support of access to um abortion leading to the road decision. And then right after the road decision, 
it sort of split into two different factions, and and one of them was the pro-choice movement, which is white ladies, <laughs> um, white ladies with a bunch of money, and their their whole line of thinking after Roe is that we just have to protect the Supreme Court decision, and the best way to do that is to reach out to more conservative white ladies to get their support also. And so you have like the cultivation of what's called uh, the undue burden test, like what things can a state actually put in place um, that blocks a woman from getting an abortion? Like at what point do those things become illegal? Um, and that yeah, led so to- So there were all these kinds of restrictions that they were trying to make abortion clinics like be equipped for surgery where they didn't need to have them, those kinds of laws. Yeah, so it was originally just an idea that was created by like these white ladies, and they th- that that concept of just focusing on abortion and keeping abortion legal only didn't quite serve underserved communities like uh, the black community specifically, because historically, like abortion was kind of used in a weaponized way and sterilization against those communities. And so, when you only center abortion rather than total like a totality of reproductive care in order to empower people to make their own personal choices about their reproductive uh, bodies, like, uh, like you know, Planned Parenthood and NARAL initially did, like there's a a giant vacuum that needs filling, and so that's where abortion funds stepped in, and where Sister Song stepped in, and a number of other like uh, Black women-led coalitions to provide community care um, in a localized way. Yes. Um, so you write about how there's been sort of a shift be, um, from like pro-choice to a broader uh, reproductive justice, which you write is a more uh, coherent goal. But even with that, you feel like there's still not a lot of consensus on the, I guess, the radical left about how to how to like actually talk about that and, and move forward on the issue. Do you think the laws that are coming up um, over the past few weeks, you think that's going to to clarify things, or do you think there's going to that uh, confusion is going to continue? I think that um, I think that the center on reproductive justice, rather than you know, I mean, they're they're obviously going to be used interchangeably because colloquially these things lack the the meaning that they do in institutionalized settings. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, about 15 years ago, Planned Parenthood sort of looked at itself, recognized that it was underserving certain communities, and that it wasn't available to the people that actually needed um, the services that they offered the most. And so they sort of had this, like, systemic shift towards helping women of color, helping poor communities, helping trans people. Um, and that's all under the the umbrella of what reproductive justice is. So you've sort of seen this, this shift in the tide. Um, basically like since about 2005 but it's really gaining steam now um towards reproductive justice as uh you know the the object goal um but for a lot of people who aren't like invested in it and aren't just completely mired in it they'll use those two terms uh like in exchange for one another Mm -hmm. um, and might not understand that like yeah yeah, like um centering abortion alone isn't going to be like the only necessary goal, you know? Right. Yeah. Which, uh, and a lot of it, and within that is Roe v. Wade that's tied up in the discourse on abortion in the United States. It kind of, at least since, uh, I can remember that's, that's, um, how I think of it, but, uh, is Roe v. Wade, 
Uh, first of all, do you think that was a sufficient decision or and like from a legal perspective? And also, what are the limits it places um, on the, this discourse, the, the, just that decision from the 1970s? Um, so, yeah, the, the legal background on just abortion decisions is really it's ridiculous. Um, and honestly, like a lot of the movement is to protect Roe from being overturned, but yeah, I I mean, it's kind of in the prompt to your question. I don't think that Roe was sufficient. Um, because I mean, there's a bunch of different reasons, but the biggest reason that that comes to mind is that like, um, it set up this, this dual notion for how abortion should be legislated. Um, that, basically like um let's see sorry uh like it, the state has a vested interest in protecting not only the life of the mother but the life but a potential life mm. um and so in row it's set up like verbally that uh you know after the third trimester or unto the third trimester which they denoted as just like that's where viability happens um you can outlaw it states can outlaw it from there which is why a lot of states already have or you know most states already have like 20 or 24 week bans mm-hmm. um those are constitutional under row the the biggest thing was that it didn't delve too much into besides trimesters how much the potential life the state had invested in the potential life itself and that was yeah. clarified in a landmark decision like planned parenthood v casey um which came in 1993 uh and that actually has more to do with the current atmosphere on abortion legislation than anything and else. And that's about access. Yes. Casey versus yeah. Planned Parenthood. Right. Um, and, like, I mean, I just read it before I called you guys. Um, <laughs> it's insane. Like, the decision is written by Sandra Day O'Connor, and basically it says that, like, you know, legislators can draw arbitrary lines, but courts can't, and so the court that decided Roe picked viability as that option. And so we're going to stick with viability, but we're going to rework what viability means. And so they throw out the whole trimester thing, basically reduce it to whatever a state wants. And then they say only where state regulation imposes an undue burden on a woman's ability to make a decision, does the state reach into the heart of the liberty protected by the due process clause, which is, it, that's just ridiculous. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> um, but basically like, the state can't the state can't restrict they can't say like you have to climb to the top of a mountain or every abortion is going to cost like a million dollars um but what those restrictions are are effectively left up to the state's legislative discretion and you don't actually get like kind of a a, a court's understanding of where those regulations um come into play until like 2012 which was whole women's health v hellerstadt um which was a decision out of texas when they decided to say that like every abortion clinic in texas had to be a basically a hospital and then every doctor also had to get hospital admittance and you have that decision being written by briar that basically says like well you guys have to kind of hold your horses like Mm. (laughs) um was that the uh, one that wendy davis filibustered that was a um, was it? 
I can't remember. I was at that. It was just a long time ago. And frankly, was, that I, was a... I lived in Texas and there was one of those every fucking week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Texas is, it's, it's basically just like a cesspool of these things. Yeah. Um, and like living in Arizona, we'd come up against things like this all the time. Like there's a ton of different measures that they're really creative. They can totally come up with. And all of them, all of these bills that they're pushing on state legislature levels are designed to just flex with Casey to see how far they can actually push it. Yeah, there's like this weird abstract space that they could sort of work in that where they essentially are able to construct like backdoor bans. Uh, yes. Like the six yeah. week thing. Yeah, in or in the name of safety for the woman where... Right. Abortion right. is extremely safe. Yeah, and I wanted to touch on that a little bit because uh, you talk about this in the piece about uh, the way they sort of like uh, treat the concept of the mother, you know, or as like the vessel for pregnancy and never really refer to it as being sacred in any any instance other than when it is, you know, the house for a baby to live in. Uh, right. When, it's when you're a host, you know. Um and that's really interesting because uh, I, I like what you're talking about here in terms of in this piece, there's um, a lot of discussion of the ability for them to project, you know, various psychological anxieties onto this concept of uh, the blank slate, the tabula rasa, just like fetus, which, you know, is very telling because they don't have any of these same, um, you know, passionate sort of uh, feelings about like, the person after that or the person before that it's only this this you know the weird blob thing that they love to make uh, big posters out of and shit that's because it you know isn't really a human life and can't speak for itself and doesn't have any identity they uh they're able to just like <laughs> to just throw this weird yeah. fucking they, shrimp they, thing in your face and, and <laughs> totally projected on they project like their interior lives onto these things like um one thing that was really interesting, so like in, in Arizona and at, at a bunch of clinics across the country, um, they, we have programs that are like clinic escort programs where you stand in the parking lot with a giant umbrella to block patients from the people on the street that are screaming at you to and walk them inside Bible safely versus, so they don't, yeah. yeah, so they don't feel harassed. And, but like in, in the time of doing that, I was able to witness these people without really interacting with them. And it's really interesting just to see the way that they, they emote and they project based on, like, like the things that they're saying. They're screaming, like, half a football away, not to the person who's walking inside of the building, but to the fetus that could hypothetically be inside of that Whoa. person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, it's like... and they're screaming things like, we love you. We'll always be here for Ugh. you. I love you, Blob. Uh, there's, a lady, <laughs> there's a lady who, like, every every Saturday at exactly 1030, she shows up with a megaphone, and she's just, like, quaking. Like, and she's screaming into the megaphone, and it's basically just, like, you know, stream of consciousness. But it's things like, I wish that I could protect you. I wish that I could hold you. Yeah. I would feed you. I would make you feel better. And I want you to know that I have those... I would love to do those things for you so you're not alone. And it's like, it's really creepy. You know, when you see somebody projecting that much emotion just into the world, like you have to kind of, I mean, I have no sympathy for this woman in her day to day life because this is how she's decided to solve her <laughs> mm -hmm. problems. But like, like there, she there is, 
there's an inherent sorrow there, you know? I really like, I just find it so funny, this thing you sort of alluded to about, like, the fact that this person that's, like, screaming and holding the picture of this blob probably has grown adult children that they hate and don't yeah. talk to and shit. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah. no, this thing instead. Uh, this is my real kid, you know? But sometimes yeah. they bring their like, children to protest, too. Yeah. Well, it's like a whole do, family really, affair. Really we couldn't afford to go to Disney World, so we're going to go to the local Planned Parenthood. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's Bring like the blog there's, sign. There's a, I talk about a, a little bit about how there's like different factions. Like there's the, the lady who stands there and screams, and then there's like this church. It's called the Apologia Church. Um, the pastor's name is Jeff Durbin, and it's basically like a huge scam. Like you have to pay 20 bucks to go to Mass. And they're trying to build a church in Hawaii. It's a and he's got a podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh man. But yeah, those people basically treat it like Disneyland and like, you know, the pastor and his like you know the people that hang out with him, like his social media manager and stuff, they're up they, they kind of treat themselves like rock stars. Um, and they give big cool speeches where they tell you that God is love and like this is no cool like I used to be an asshole and now I'm amazing there's and- a reason that there's so many like uh, I mean aside from AA being inherently connected to Christianity there's a reason that people that quit like that are addicts that quit drinking or something like that then get addicted to that shit uh, yeah. the weird subculture of being in a, a church group is not dissimilar to the psychosis that we see in our open mic comedian friends that are <laughs> yeah. essentially just competing for attention with each other and uh, running operations where you have to pay 20 bucks to go do a thing, you know, whether it be church in this situation or uh, a fucking comedy show. Um, I, I'm obsessed with um, just psychology of fucking freaks like this and uh something that occurred to me in this piece that's really interesting i hadn't thought about before is uh you talk about the factions the various different factions that come and protest uh you know the planned parenthood line and uh how they often bicker with each other and yeah it's interesting because i think before that i never occurred to me i always thought of them as being one big unified front because they all have the same thing but they're all you know they all have various grievances with each other because they are, you know, they are these tiny factional groups that are are not really there because they really believe in this thing. They're there for some way more deranged, psychotic reason that has to do with, uh, you know, their own egos. And uh, yeah. that's really interesting to me. Um, the other thing that's been really interesting to me reading about this is... Um, you know, it's easy for us on this side of this thing to sort of write off all these people as, um, you know, just, oh, they're just a bunch of fucking Jesus freak hicks and they hate women. I mean, that's all true, you know, on some level, but, um, you know, we should really like know our, the thing we're trying to fight against. And, um, someone published like a, a, a deep dive of just screenshots into Facebook groups where, uh, you know, pro-life people were making their arguments. Soul. And uh, it was, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, like, you, you go in and you, you have to tie a rope to yourself and say, if I, tug, if I don't tug on it three times, pull me out of it because I'm losing my fucking mind in these, these Facebook groups. But um, I, I, I read it and I'm fascinated by that shit and I'll get stuck in uh, wormholes. I'm, I'm, I'm in a few, uh, like, Trump groups on Facebook where I just don't post anything. I just lurk because I'm like, I want to know what these people are thinking about and shit. And um, something that occurred to me, though, is, you know, uh, well, two things. One is a lot of liberals and uh, people that are, you know, uh, freaking out and against this, but aren't really, I think, thinking about it hard enough. Um, 
tend to think that the solution is electoral and the solution is simply we just need to elect more women and uh, what they're sort of overlooking there is that there are a lot of women in the fucking government in these southern states even in like who are signing this legislature yeah and and as a result also Democrats so you can't just go hey vote blue no matter what and that'll fix this Um, you need to understand it on an ideological level and when you read these uh, you know these, these MAGA chuds and shit talking about pro-life something that occurred to me that, that i think is key is that um they when i say they it's, it's fucking men women people of color also every you know everything across the board they have this thing in common which is that they consider um this to be an issue of like personal responsibility um yes. a lot of them you know their their take on this is like yeah well you know maybe if you Maybe if you can't just go get an abortion, you won't be irresponsible and be hanging out at the clubs all the time and all that shit, right? Yeah. And that is very similar to the the sort of uh, der- the ag- the aggrieved rhetoric of Republicans when they talk about other class based shit, when they talk about like um, you know just welfare and stuff like that. <coughs> um, they seem to think of it all as a uh, you know a, weir- a weird like personal responsibility, um, you know. Uh, it's, it's a resentment. They have the same resentment as like, the, you know, the silent majority. Um, yeah. And so in order to, to fight it, if you understand that. I mean, they that, called themselves the moral majority for a reason. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'm curious about how it uh, evolved. I guess they probably wouldn't say evolved, but how it became <laughs> sort of a religious. Uh, stated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was born into, reborn. Into it's a, a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I, I was reading a little bit about the, the history of uh, opposing abortion, and, and originally one of the first guys was uh, kind of a eugenicist, Horatio Storer, who yeah. in the 1860s was saying, like, we need to make sure abortion is banned because, like, shall America be filled with our own children or those of aliens? Then he says, this is a question that our own women must answer upon their loins depends the future destiny of the nation. So it was very much like a keep America white movement. Um, right. Do you have insight onto how that sort of uh, transferred or was, was I guess, sublimated into a more religious thing? Um, okay, so like the, the history of abortion and birth control in the United States is absolutely absurd. Um, and it does, like, one of the things that we don't really talk about um, that often is how much the the development of birth control um the implementation of birth control and abortion are all tied into the the eugenics movement in the united states and how big of a deal that was and yeah mm-hmm. it's yeah. like even though kind we of like hail margaret sanger as a as a hero margaret she, sanger was actually see this is the thing oh, she the sucked towards the end but basically she was persuaded by because, um, like, when she was first starting out with Planned Parenthood and everything, like, she was allied pretty closely with, like, Emma Goldman and a bunch of anarchists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was this split about halfway through um, her activist life where she looked around and was like, we're not making enough money for me to keep this going on the scale that I want it to go to. And then, like, there was already this existing body of eugenicists with tons of money, like Rockefeller money, Carnegie mm-hmm. money. Um, so it was a strategic move. The for Ford her. Foundation was huge. Like she was a pragmatist. All of these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, the only the the anti-abortion, actually, so the pro-abortion movement, you know, in like the 40s, 
um, was primarily just like a group of priests and doctors that were talking specifically with the people um, in their local communities about getting access to safe and legal or safe abortions because it wasn't legal then um, and creating a sort of underground community where where women could actually access this sort of thing. And it wasn't until like, I mean, Roe really just changed everything. And the moment that it became like this super religious, like, uh, thing that everybody got really connected and into was in the aftermath of Roe, um, the rise of the religious right and specifically like Ronald Reagan. Mm. (laughs) Um, the election of Reagan really had a lot to do with it because he specifically was a person who he was able to rile up the the southern baptists that had formerly been democrats by saying that abortion should be outlawed and that sort of won the switch from them being on like the side of southern democrats moved to the coagulation of a religious right and Uh, they were able to basically just muster up fervor from like all across Christianity. Whereas like before like Catholics and Protestants had been extremely opposed to one another, they were all sort of unified under not just anti-abortion, but uh, this family values circuit. And that's, um, Oh, the tour that corn and limp biscuit went on. (laughs) 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 And yeah, that, that, the organization that basically drew them all together and sort of like took up the mantle of uh, family values and anti-abortion and anti-gay legislation was they called themselves the moral majority. And out of them, they, you know, they had this like more active on the ground faction called Operation Rescue, which people don't really realize. Like, so, so back in the eighties and the nineties, like they had these gigantic uh, demonstrations where like, grown adults would get on all fours and crawl into a clinic. And because it was like, you know, a security issue, uh, they'd shut down clinic operations for that day. And it'd be like hundreds of people just showing up to abortion clinics to just scream and cry outside, like way more than you see now. Um, and that was also like the time where they were inciting people to literal violence. Like there were tons of bombings in the early nineties. People were getting shot at constantly. Like, um, there was real physical violence that was coming out of this, and it was it was because the moral majority was able to consolidate this religious fervor uh, with this. You know, it's it's not just religious, and it's not just pro white. It's also like an extremely classist um, uh, opinion that they have that does eventually just sort of coagulate into the idea that like you know, you should have personal responsibility to not get pregnant in the first place. Mm. Mm. Well, as you pointed out in the piece, this is all, in many ways, reproductive justice is uh, sort of a foreign policy issue because there are a lot of countries in the global south um, that the U.S. has uh, given aid to or otherwise influenced where um, we're able to sort of uh, propagate a a pro-life line there, depending on who's in power here. Yeah, that's actually, it's an extremely difficult issue to, like, to really parse out just because of the way that um, rhetoric surrounding birth control and abortion are just diametrically opposed to each other. You're either pro-life or you're pro-choice, mm. but um, that's kind of it. The, the pro-choice movement has to work double time against itself because um, a lot of people that are on the side of developing birth control pills and quote unquote, bringing like bringing uh, the idea of, of 
access to reproduction, to reproductive health in, in other countries are motivated by uh, large eugenicist population control centers. Um, USAID is extremely big into that. Uh, the World Bank also loves funding this sort of thing. And what ends up happening is it's not just benevolent NGOs like, you know, telling people about their reproductive health. They have they have quotas to reduce population. Mm, and so that okay. that goes into the other side of yeah. like of reproductive justice in general, where like people need to be able to have a decision. They be they need to be able to make choices. They can't just you know, be duped by people who have a certain number of quotas into forcibly receiving an IUD implant and then are abandoned for the rest of their lives. Like, um, so, so that's, that's the reason that like reproductive justice has to be so much of an umbrella because of what American foreign policy has done to the world at large. Like we've taught people, uh, in the global South to, to mistrust us foreign aid and also have, created an ethos in like a number of these places where they're dependent on it for any form of medical health care. Um, and the Trump organization or the Trump administration, not the organization, <laughs> the Trump administration uh, just instituted this thing that Reagan did. It goes back and forth all the time. It's called the gag rule that basically says that like USAID as a government institution for giving money to other countries can't give money if they suggest that abortion is an option for anybody at any time. They can't like recommend care. They can't you know, suggest that it's a, a possibility. Like, so that's just automatically cutting off reproductive aid to these people who, you know, it, it's hard to just sever that system, even though it is predatory in certain circumstances. It's gotten a lot better recently, so. Hmm. Hmm. Um, let's pause real quick. I don't know if that makes any Okay, um, so I guess to sort of like uh, summarize what we're talking about here, um, the important part of, uh, of putting this into a broad uh, umbrella leftist perspective rather than just uh, sort of a narrow liberal one is that this is um, that reproductive justice means a lot more than just, um, you know, just thin electoral stuff and just... Um, uh, abortion, um, just these, these specific narrow things that it's been sort of whittled down to in the discourse in, uh, in U.S. popular politics, I guess. Um, the other thing we should talk about is uh, uh, what's going on right now with the corporate funding, I guess, which, Naomi, you, uh, you wrote and performed a sketch about on RT, um, can you tell us a little bit about that? I, I uh, read a thing yesterday that Netflix is, is, uh, is one of the people that donated a bunch of money. To yeah, these. so um, this site, Popular Info, posted uh, basically the research. They went into the campaign financing behind all these candidates that uh, voted for these abortion bans or wrote the legislation in especially like Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Ohio. And they found that, like, these corporations like AT&T, like Pfizer, who, um, you know, promote themselves as very female-friendly and say, like, look at all the female CEOs we have, and, and Walmart especially, but they're actually donating money. And AT&T donated uh, more than $100,000 to Governor Kay Ivey, who signed the Alabama abortion bill. So right. I think, yeah, that's, like, one piece of the pie. 
And then I saw, after I read this article, um, I saw an opinion piece in the Washington Post um, that said, can corporations save us from the attack on <laughs> reproductive rights? <laughs> cool. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, can yeah. they? <laughs> so, I mean, I think there there is one piece of it to, to uh, you know, show which, how the the hypocrisy of these corporations where they're like uh you know Pfizer specifically just interviewed their fe- female CEOs and were like who do you admire and they're all like Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> all of them said Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Michelle Obama and it's just like they're they're you know with the with their other hand they're giving money to these people who are you know signing this legislation just making it harder for a lot of women in their state how do they i wonder how they stand on aborting uh corporations because if they believe corporations are listen (laughs) (laughs) Um, legally corporations are people okay yeah yeah Corporations yeah, are blobs too, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's sort of funny because if you think about it all, lot like if you put all of it together into context, I mean, what it means to be an employee who's a woman who works at Walmart or something is that that you can work there and you can supposedly rise up and yeah. become someone who becomes a CEO or some sort of high level executive, but simultaneously or Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get by their own policies. Uh, you're, you you can't protect yourself from an unwanted pregnancy, and then when it happens, you can't have time off to take care of it. Like it just yeah. All but b- it's also a class issue. They're saying like our management is mostly female, but really these bills are fucking the poor mostly. Mm. Right. So right. they're the casualties of of this experiment. And and the companies aren't necessarily uh, pro life, right? They're just got, they just give money to everybody who looks like they're gonna win. Yeah, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. They're just they're just handing out money to make sure that they have you know that they have their interests. Oh, okay, that's that's a good <laughs> point because I was kind of wondering like, are all these fucking like is the person that owns Netflix like of are they in these crazy moral majority groups or is it no i they're just giving money to the people who will win that's all oh but they are supporting these people they're helping them win right um they are financing their campaigns and yeah so i see that's Um, an interesting it's an interesting aspect of it i guess it is an overstatement to say that these corporations are willingly funding the attack on reproductive rights right I mean, it's it's. I th- I think it's fair to say that they are willingly doing so because they don't care, and that's a still a motivation. Right. <laughs> um, and like, I, with, like, as you're pointing out, like the the focus of the corporations themselves is to, you know, they're reinforcing the idea that like all of these strong empowered women should be able to still access abortion when like it's been the the even since Roe the most vulnerable communities and populations haven't been able to access access abortion at all. Um, and then like you have things like the Hyde Amendment that basically said that Medicaid isn't going to cover abortions unless it's specifically life-threatening. Um, and like even the statute that upheld that like specifically said that um, the state might make childbirth like an attractive alternative by influencing women to think differently, but by not providing them co- like compensation or coverage for abortion, like they're not instituting an impediment 
mm-hmm. towards actually receiving one. And so, like, I mean, I think that for the left specifically, like, you you can turn this into a, a class issue. I mean, because it, it, it definitely is. Like, It's totally um, a class issue in that uh, anytime anything's outlawed, it's only outlawed for poor people. <laughs> yeah, if you're right. rich, because they're the easiest to fuck over. That's yeah. just yeah the way it is. Well, I mean, money is just power. So, like, if you if you're rich and you know, and we do go on with a full overturning of Roe versus Wade, you're still gonna be able to have a fucking abortion. There will be a way for it to happen. You can fly to another fucking country or something. Um, right. Which is why it's, it's so. Well, I mean, you won't even have to fly to another country because the the federal government's never going to actually make a law that outlaws abortion for the entire country. Like what you're going to see is there are certain states that, I mean, there's 15 states that already have laws that go into effect the moment that Roe is overturned that outlaws abortion for those states individually. And then you have other states that are passing like rights to abortion like Nevada did yesterday. So, Mm -hmm. But Um, yeah, as I understand it, like the bans won't be able to go into effect for very long because they won't be upheld in the courts, in the federal courts. Okay. Yeah, they won't go into effect basically at all. They're going to be challenged before they're implemented. And usually it's like 30 to 60 or 90 days um, after the law is passed. And so it's going to be like July 1st. Um, some of them don't even go into effect until next year. Like the Georgia one does not go into effect until January 1st. And even then it's probably going to like receive an injunction from the court that's going to delay it from being implemented until like a Supreme Court decision is made. And so that's important to keep in mind. Like, abortion is not illegal anywhere. <laughs> right. Um, let's see. Where do we go from here? I, uh, uh, I'm going to pause again. Okay, go ahead. Um, so, yeah, like, there's, there's not just, like, as the, so a lot of the discourse surrounding, like, like, what can you actually do for any of this stuff? Like, people do have, like, a, a natural impulse to, to actually get out there and do activism for things. And you can show up to protests. I know that a lot of people don't like that, and that's totally fine because it is kind of depressing and fruitless. Um, but I think that on the left, like, there's a definitely a vacuum in terms of what sort of mutual aid we can actually do. Um, there are probably already, like, ride shares that are set up in, in your communities. Like, I mean, I just moved to eastern Wyoming, and there's not... Um, an abortion fund that's out here. And so I'm going to work on getting one of those set up and also a ride share. And then um, I'm going to like take a class on becoming a doula so that I can like inform my direct community Um, and, you know, finding different ways to provide um, reproductive care in times of a lack of that, um, I think is going to be extremely important for people on the left to like step into um, in terms of being allies, because like you know, what we should be good at is providing mutual aid for people, and that just that doesn't have to necessarily be monetary. It can be physical. You can give rides to people who need access to clinics. You can go stand in front of the clinic in between patients and the people that are screaming at them every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can educate yourself. I I, I personally like when I was working in in Arizona. Um, I came up with this idea for, like, creating a a guerrilla sex education program because in a lot of states you can't, like, the flexibility for what you can actually teach in a sex education class isn't going to keep young people safe. Um, Yeah, and also a lot of parents will sign waivers so their student, their uh, child doesn't Yeah, most programs are opt-out, not opt-in. Yeah, 
for I had a lot. Of, yeah, I was teaching in New York City, and in fact, we had we had a few girls who got pregnant during their high school years, and a lot of them opted out of sex ed. Uh, I oddly had to take one of those classes in high school uh, because I just went to a really sh- shitty, underfunded uh, public high school, and uh, in ni- in ninth grade, I I got into a fight with someone, and. Um, then, like, the next day, some TA came into the classroom, and they're like, uh, Flores, come with me, you know, and they take me off to the office, and they're go, they go, yeah, it's company, it's a school policy, you get in a fight, you have to take anger management. And so, uh, <laughs> they took me into this office, and I sat down, at, you know, in front of this, like, guidance counselor, um, this woman who, you know, was sitting there waiting for it to turn three o'clock or whatever, next to just two, like, female students, just two, like, some women or whatever, and, uh, and I was like, is this, are you in anger management? Like, what the fuck is going on? And this woman goes, um, <clears throat> she goes, okay. She opens this big binder and she shows it to us. She goes, this is a syphilitic vagina. <laughs> oh, awesome. Welcome to sex ed. And I was like. <laughs> and you were the only three who were allowed to receive it? Or I was what? like, I think I'm, they told me I'm supposed to be in anger management. <laughs> and she's like, I, it says Flores, right? Your name's on the list. Uh, you're going to have to, <laughs> oh you're going to have to watch the seminar or whatever. It was just like a clerical error or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a class like that. I, I never got pregnant since. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, and the only sex ed that they gave us was they would, like, resurrect this ancient nun from her crypt every year. She was, like, a million <laughs> years old. And she had, like, like extremely loud slides that she would show, and she'd be like, and this is gonorrhea of the eye. This is the gonorrhea of an entire baby's head. And it was just horrifying pictures oh, of that. It's the other and- miracle of life. <laughs> just gore photos basically yeah. when you said resurrect i thought you meant they did like a fucking fake like uh, the power of life you know <laughs> <laughs> they did that too just indifferent <laughs> yeah yeah that's I'm, so funny i'm lucky i guess i mean i my i went to a charter school they so they didn't have sex ed but i was sent to a unitarian church where they were just very pro masturbation they would just like tell us to <laughs> oh, yeah. masturbate you did our, you did our i did our whole learn. lives yeah you program you still don't know how to do it though i don't do it well i don't do it in the traditional way but, but i found my own they, they do said a, a goofy style like a skateboarder yeah. <laughs> well you know what other i mean as the instructor said you masturbate you can't get an std you can't get pregnant how can you beat it <laughs> all right how can you beat it how can you beat it in yeah. only in many one ways. way <laughs> I went to a Montessori school where we teach each, uh, ourselves sex ed. <laughs> um, you illustrate it. So I guess, uh, yeah, this is uh, t- two things I'm kind of thinking about uh, simultaneously as we talk all this stuff are, um, you know, the mutual aid stuff, the what can we do materially, uh, materially to, uh, to actually make a difference in this current climate and in the context of uh, how all this stuff these laws are actually implemented and how they work, um, which is, you know, uh, the things that you're, you're telling us that I, you know, you know, that, that, may, that are a little bit more complex than just, you know, just vote fucking blue or whatever, which is the, yeah, don't, what a lot of people <laughs> just fall into, uh, given the anxiety that, that we're all in, you know, uh, post Trump and everything. Um, the other thing for me is, uh, is trying to understand, I guess the, uh, where that anxiety comes from to begin with how, the existential nature of this and um and and why you know you need to understand the history of these things materially 
to understand how we got into the situations we're in and how our opponents got into the situations they're in. And I think that stuff's important. Um, and I, all this, I'm saying all this to segue into uh, my next segment, which is, uh, I think I'm going to be, uh, be doing a recurring segment on this show from now on. Uh, called Yang Thoughts. Um, Yang I've re- Thoughts. I've been re- reading a lot of Andrew Yang's Twitter lately because he follows me for some reason. And um, <laughs> he said something that I, that really exemplifies a misunderstanding of all of the material historical analysis that we're talking about. He said this, uh, I think, yesterday. Andrew Yang, according to the twin studies, between one-third and one-half of political alignment is linked to genetics. That, that is What the fuck? Most of us are born somewhat wired to be liberal or conservative. If this is the case, we need to build bridges as much as possible, not just info or culture. Um, this is a thing that I think a lot of people think about when they look at the political divides in this country in terms of... Uh, you know, Democrat or Republican or pro-life or pro-choice. Um, when you, I mean, I, I agree with what you say in this article, which is when you talk to a pro-life person, like you will not change their mind. It's they're too far gone at this Although, point. Although maybe they would be pro-abortion if you take this Yang logic and say like, so let's abort all the pro-choice <laughs> yeah. left-wing people. But you have to admit that there are some misconceptions that they have. They're, they're like, oh, uh, Democrats, uh, you know, support infanticide and you know the majority of abortions are in the first trimester i totally agree that they that they do have those misconceptions i just don't think that they are uh just because they are you know that you can't just reduce it to ah they're just a bunch of fucking inbred you know rednecks or as uh, andrew yang would tell us they're simply just born that way (laughs) there's just a gene that's going to make you pro-life and one that's going to make you pro-choice and then uh and that just lays the ground for uh, groundwork for the conflict that we're all in, and then just go fight, and then we all end up in Ragnarok or Valhalla or however the fuck yeah. it stands. <laughs> well, I think you're completely right about that, and that's sort of what I'm trying to get to in the thing that I wrote. Like, like you know, maybe if we actually change the material conditions for these people, like if in changing everything for the better, so that people are able to like economically elevate and support themselves and receive medical attention, like that they require if we meet people's material needs they're the odds of them being this wound up about other people's bodies is bound to go down like mm-hmm. that's and i you know that might sound crazy to some people but that's something that i just fundamentally believe that like no i totally agree these lives better we can just probably get rid of a lot of these people it does <laughs> sound a little bit like a, a you know a big grand idea or whatever, but I mean, it is all linked to just where did these Trump people come from to begin with, which is the womb. (laughs) Oh, true. Um, but yeah, I mean, a component at least in fighting all this stuff is going to be, um, you know, uh, having a conversation with your friend who might fucking, you know, vote or make some decision that ultimately leads to all this stuff and understanding people and, uh, I don't know, fighting some big fucking. Well, what do you, um, what do you, Melly, what do you think of like the young people? Because obviously the older people in the, the pro-life movement are, are too far gone. But if there's somebody who's, you know, maybe doesn't come from an apolitical household, but they go to a Catholic school and then like they're learning all this stuff. Is there is is that worth uh, dialogue to talking to people before they get totally indoctrinated? Is there a way to do that? It's, it's really weird because like. 
I mean, people get really indoctrinated through. There's literally like pro-life camps that people send their children right. to, yeah. and it's be, like they're so distant from public society and kept inside of like these communities and then released into the world where they're like, you know, at a pro-life tabling event. Um, they're just as unshiftable as everybody else, but that's just because of like from their youth they've been indoctrinated that young people that are super into the pro-life movement are an animal that i can't even grasp. <laughs> well like, uh, i don't well uh maybe we should refer to um the wisdom of andrew yang <laughs> and at andrew yang this is something he tweeted the other day i find my mind works better when i read a lot that's it. That's the yeah. whole tweet. <laughs> wow, he's so cool. I mean, that is wisdom. He's <laughs> dropping some gems here. He's so fucking deep. <laughs> um, I guess he's been going on Rogan lately, so that's where he's getting a lot of this shit. Um, Wait, uh, who is Andrew Yang? Andrew Yang oh is boy. one of the people that's <laughs> running for president. Um, he's, uh, he's a joke. That's probably why you haven't heard of him. He's one of the lower tier ones. Although he is out, uh, he's polling better than Cory Booker, apparently, right now. <laughs> oh, shit. That's um, hilarious. He's the UBI guy. His, yeah. his thing is uh, you get $1,000 a month from the government, which is uh, deceptively, you know, it's it sounds like a leftist uh, policy. It sounds like a, a sort of, I mean... It, in some places, it has been implemented, um, but uh, the way he wants to do it is more of a like in the tradition of. Uh, I mean, Nixon introduced uh, yeah, yeah the just take income. away social security and medic just take away all that shit and give you the the yeah. grant yeah and uh, Andrew Yang's basically a technocrat who like uh, I mean it's very telling that he has a following of Pepe frogs and sort of like <laughs> a lot of the alt right guys switched to yeah because Yang. he's Asian and they're like oh this this proves <laughs> that we're not racist because we think Asians are smarter than us <laughs> yeah. this guy's a tech entrepreneur I'm not racist I, Asians are very good at math or yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think he was Asian. Have you ever seen uh, Cable Guy? Okay. Um, <laughs> no, never. In uh, in other news, uh, just to, to round things out, so we don't uh, our episode this week isn't a complete bummer. Um, <laughs> some other things are going on this week um, in terms of the uh, the bipartisan world, as you know, as has been sort of brought up. I guess in this episode regarding the uh, the Democrats that have sort of crossed the line on this issue, um, our girl AOC is working with Ted Cruz for some reason on a uh, a bill to uh, essentially make outlaw ex Congress members from becoming lobbyists. Um, it's interesting. I looked into it, and I think what's I think it's a really weird story. I think what's going on is that um, it's pretty easy for ex Congress people to uh, to become lobbyists anyway, even even though even when it's illegal, like you can just there's like a loophole where you can uh, you can still donate the money without it be, without you your official title being that you're a lobbyist or whatever. Mm. So it's like it's fucking weird. I don't know why either of them are doing this. It, it happened on Twitter where they were sort of it was a very flirty interaction. Um, <laughs> the reason I bring it, it up is because um, I think she's trying to win a date with Ted Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, I don't like that. The Chronicle, <laughs> the Houston Chronicle, the just tweeted the story out a day or two ago that uh, Ted Cruz's campaign is um, is doing a fundraiser where they're raffling off a date with Ted Cruz. Um, it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, he's uh, launching some kind of charm offensive here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I think it's immoral. I think it's disgusting. <laughs> I uh, feel like he tried this before and it failed. 
And like, nobody showed up to the auction. <laughs> yeah. I got stood up like at my auction. Nobody been on having dinner with them. <laughs> He's the dud from the dating game in The Simpsons. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's really funny because, like, uh, you know, who the fuck... Who is going to... I guess, it, I mean, the implication here is that, like, women are going to be, like, you know, fighting with each other over a chance to, ha- to go out to eat with Ted Cruz, but... I mean, anybody could use that on the gram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Isn't it just going to be some shitty Texan guy, though? Like some old man? And they're going to end up like... Maybe. I, I guess yeah. It, why I'm wondering, what I'm wondering is, do you try to fuck Ted Cruz? If you... If you do that? If you win the date. Well, apparently he's uh, had affairs with, like, journalists in, in Washington, according to some people. Um, it's weird that he's teaming up with AOC, though, because, like, he tried tried to campaign in the Bronx in 2016, and he just got, like, ran out of the place, basically. Uh, <laughs> and that was, like, when he was... Set, like, he, they had the they New York the primary. They called the Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he, like... He, he said... There was the New York values thing where he's like, I'm President Trump... Or, uh fucking Donald Trump at the time. Like, Donald Trump has New York values. And it's like, you have to compete here like you have to try to get elected here ostensibly and you're like you're just gonna shit on the state like that's what i mean if, if liberals are guilty of it too it's just like geographical warfare it's like the play arkansas these places they, they just don't matter we need to like make the blue states better and uh just yeah become a separate country or something and i don't know are they trying to bridge that gap here or just like like what's i don't get what they're doing i don't know what they're i mean trying to do. it's like the system is so shitty that it's like you kind of have to if you do want to ban lobbyists which should be done uh i guess the only way to do it is like just point out the hypocrisy and and pick off a republican and say like yeah this is a common sense law that should just be a thing um you know ideally we would not have to work with those people but i guess this is the only chance she has yang thoughts uh when i'm president the last thing anyone will be concerned about is the name on a boat we have much bigger things to focus on i don't even know which one the, yeah what, what is, is that about? mccain he's probably talking about the mccain, oh, the McCain yeah uh oh yeah the uss mccain yeah and how, like they had to cover the name on the side of the ship that said uss john mccain because donald trump didn't want to see it yeah, yeah. oh okay i see on memorial day yeah. Man, wait i found a better one petty uh, Andrew Yang, someone said that the media we consume is analogous to the food we eat. If that's the case, Twitter is definitely candy. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. mm, Can you keep yum, going yum. with this? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like he needs to develop that idea. <laughs> yeah, YouTube is steak. Dude, he's fucking crazy. <laughs> I love him. Facebook is eggplant parmesan. Where are we going, Andrew? <laughs> oh, um... I don't know. Instagram is um, is avocado toast. You millennials triggered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just found out my book "War on Normal People" is getting translated. Ah, it's fucking. He has a book called "War on Normal People." <laughs> I, oh yeah, I, Andrew Yang. My book "Kill All Normies" is getting translated <laughs> into three other languages. <laughs> it's a book called "War on, on Normal People." That's almost the same thing as "Kill All Normies." Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what his fan base is—is is like the internet world you know <laughs> oh. what if andrew yang is just angela nagel in a mask yeah it's a psyop <laughs> it's a deep fake by angela nagel i don't know um <laughs> i guess that's it we were about a, about an hour um 
Yeah, I mean, a couple other interesting things happened this week. Um, but if you're talking about bipartisan stuff, um, this is something that almost did happen. Uh, Trump was trying to let an arms sale go through to Saudi Arabia. So he called a state of emergency to bypass Congress because normally Congress needs to approve an arms transfer and they would not have approved it in this case because of Khashoggi not because they you know bombed a school bus of children but mm, right. but uh, there is some interesting stuff going on in terms of uh, like opposition to of supporting Saudi Arabia and uh, some stuff in the Middle East oh. wow it just occurred to me we should have uh, done uh, uh, because it's pride month bipartisan Oh. Oh, no. uh, well, well, it's the end of the episode, not the beginning, so <laughs> yeah. impossible to do. What if that becomes like it. the third way people are like, we're not bipartisan anymore, all right? It's a spectrum. It's like a full, like they have their I'm, own. I'm pan-partisan. I'm pan-partisan. Yeah. yeah. That's Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> Very true. Extremely true. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was I going to get? Uh, Talk about the Venga Boys, uh, which are, if you don't know them, they're just extremely bubblegummy, uh, sort of like uh, 90s dance-ish, techno-ish band. Um, played a show in Austria and unfurled a giant Antifa flag a couple days ago, uh, <laughs> which is just weird. Um, I guess the, they're the spiritual opposite of Ace of Bass, I guess, <laughs> at this point. They sound like Ace of Bass, but, um, but Ace of Bass are Nazis, in case anyone didn't know. Um, mm. And what was the crowd reaction? Uh, apparently pretty positive. Um, crazy. Uh, also, the last thing I'll talk about is Duterte. Is oh, apparently yeah. <laughs> Duterte. Duterte, my man. <laughs> Duterte in the Philippines. He is the gift that keeps on giving. Who, If you don't know who he is, he's a fucking crazy person who's uh, he, made it yeah. punishable by death to possess you know, drugs. Well, he said, you know, the Germans killed three million Jews sick, and uh, therefore I will kill millions of drug dealers. <laughs> yeah, one, that was one of his uh, one of his famous. He just made it a point to lowball the Holocaust. Yeah, just to, like, <laughs> get attention. What, yeah, what's his? Uh, no, I think that was a legit error on his part. Um, yeah, he's a real fucking weird one. And and an ally, U.S. ally. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Trump likes him. Um, but he's, he's also... He's not an ally ally, though. Right. <laughs> um, no, we do help. We help Duterte. Well, actually, maybe he is, because the headline of this Newsweek article is, uh, Philippines President Duterte says he was once gay, but, I cu- I, in quotes, I cured myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh. <laughs> He's the true bipartisan. How did he do that? He put on like a Andrew Yang designed headset and it just like warped his jeans to make him not gay. Yeah, he put on the depression helmet and uh, <laughs> you know Mike Pence fucking did the pokey rap out of him. And now he's not gay. Uh, <laughs> according to Rappler, a Filipino news publication, Duterte mocked his political opponent, Senator Antonio Trianes the fourth. Wow, cool. Uh, by saying his uh, his movements show he is homosexual. Uh, <laughs> his movements. Duterte also reportedly confessed that he was gay before he met his ex-wife, Elizabeth Zimmerman. Um, what? <laughs> good thing Triana's and I are similar, but I cured myself. <laughs> wow. This is the craziest, like, fucking uh, weird macho, like, shit talk. Like, 
you're gay. I was, but I cured myself. I mean, a lot of those guys, like the hardcore, like militia, junta people who are surrounded by death and like masculinity, like there's a lot of homoerotic stuff there. So, oh, you know, sure, yeah. It's probably a lot of yeah. undealt with sexual energy, like the bulls and arrow. He goes, he goes on to say, when I began a relationship with Zimmerman, I said, this is it. <laughs> I became a man again. Um, Wow. Yeah, I want that kind of pussy. <laughs> um, the Philippines are fucking crazy. I have a friend who is from the Philippines. He told me like in the uh, in the nineties, like uh, I, I can't remember if when Duterte became president, but whoever was president at the time is just like in action movies. It would be like if, if like Trump is just also in like uh, yeah. the Avengers and shit. Yeah, as president. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they put Bush in an Iron Man Iron Man comic, I remember, in the 2000s. They, like, drew him in and stuff. It's weird. Oh, man. Weird. Um, Triana's went on to say, Duterte is gay, so I am gay. I don't care if I'm gay or not. This is fucking insane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Duterte also said that he would uh, uh, start a war with Canada. Yeah, he fucking rules. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what was the context for that? So he threatened to attack Canada if they didn't pick up their trash. So this was actually a legit reason, I think, for Duterte to say something insane. And they, some Canadian company was just using the Philippines as a dump. So he's like, you pick up your trash or I'm attacking Canada, Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> and he like called him out. I would kind of love to see that. No, I shouldn't say that. I mean, like. yeah, there's just great YouTube clips of just, like, all the crazy shit Duterte says. Here's some more shit he said. <laughs> he actually tried to invade Canada. That'd be, yeah. It would be, like, entertaining. I mean, it would be bad, but entertaining. Du- Duterte, only I can say it. Bishops are sons of bitches. Damn you. It's true. It's true. Most of them are gay. They should come out in the open, cancel the celibacy, and allow them to have boyfriends. Um, I, think, I know because I was gay. <laughs> yeah, I was, and so can you. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess moral of uh, the story here is um, Duterte, relax and read some Yang, dude. Some <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was about to say, get some Yang thoughts in your head, and, and you know, just be yourself. I guess. <laughs> um, I guess that that's about it. Unless anybody else has got anything particularly stories. Um. Ah, fuck it. Didn't go out. Yep. Yep. Let's go. Yeah. Out. Um. All right. Want to talk about Iran? <laughs> uh, next time. Next we talked time. about it on our last episode, our oh, last yeah? bonus uh, about oh. how they're f- were the Secretary of Defense is a former Boeing uh, CEO. Oh right. And he's like thinks that failure is like good for the the samurai. He was like talking about samurais <laughs> and shit. Yeah. And yeah saying explain that, like, that to the families of the Ethiopian air- airliner. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Failure is <laughs> Yang thoughts. Uh, all right, yeah, Yang thoughts. Failure is the true beginning, or some shit. <laughs> um, kind of speaks in like, like uh, fortune cookies. I don't know. Um, racist, racist, totally. <laughs> He's playing it up though. He's like challenging you to call to to say something racist about him. <laughs> He's like playing chicken with you. I think he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to... Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next segment of Yang Thoughts. I'm going to have to like compile a lot of these because he seems to be on one right now. All right. Well, that's the show for the week. Uh, thanks, everybody. Um, if anyone has anything to plug, I guess we should go now. I'll start off. Um, yo, if you live in Bushwick, um, come to Yoko, the show I run with Ian Fidance and Claire O'Kane. Um, the next one is this Tuesday, which will be... 
probably the day after this comes out. Um, we've got a great lineup. We got Mike Racine. We got a bunch of other people. Um, it's been a good show. Please come out. It's it's a uh, biweekly now. As for Pride Month, it's biweekly. It's a f- fucking first and third Tuesday of every month. Um, good comics, cheap drinks. Um, and if you're in Denver, I'll be at the Colfax Comedy Festival on July 11th. And uh, I think that's it for now. I got some other stuff coming up, but uh, we'll plug it closer to the dates. Uh, yeah, if you're in Bushwick next uh, Sunday, June 9th, we're having a variety show um, at The Grove, which is a secret location. But if you DM me on Twitter at Anders Lee here, I'll, I'll give you the address, send you the tickets. Um, it's uh, Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. we got some, some good comedy acts, Simple Towns doing sketches, Ben Wasserman, uh, some comedy also from Kate Owens and me, myself, Brittany Carney. And uh, my friend Charlotte Calvert, and then we're going to be closing out with Itch Princess. This is a nice, nice punk band. Uh, that's next Sunday, June 9th, eight thirty. Also, I know we were saying reformism is like not sufficient. Don't do the electoral thing. But if you uh, kind of are tempted, if you, I mean, it can serve a purpose here and there. Um, Caban. Tiffany Caban is running for district attorney in Queens, and I have been asked to plug canvassing if you're in the New York City area. Um, the election's in June. Uh, she's uh, running uh, against mass incarceration. Um, if you go on CabanforQueens.com, you can find out uh, how to help canvass. We need a lot of help if you're in the, in the Queens area. Andrew Yang, if you put matcha on or in anything, I will probably try it. (laughs) This man's running for president. If you put it on sriracha, I wonder. Matcha sriracha. Sure, why the fuck not? Well, I've been trying. There's really nothing that sriracha doesn't go on, but I really think matcha would be bad. You'd you'd eat it, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, Naomi, you got anything? Yeah, I got... um, I'm previewing my, my hour, my debut hour that I'll be doing at the Edinburgh Fringe Fest this year on June 8th at the Woolly Mammoth Theater in D.C. Uh, as part of Lit Fest 2019. Check it out. Cool. And oh, you yeah. got some other dates in New York in July. Yeah. Out, which you can follow name and find out about. And uh, watch me on YouTube, youtube.com slash redacted tonight. Check out the show. I talk more about abortion and Saudi Arabia on it. Cool. Um, hell yeah. Uh, Melly, uh, where can my listeners follow you and read your stuff? Um, yeah, you can follow me at Apono West on, on Twitter, um, and on Medium at Apono West also. Uh, yeah, other than that, like, I'm trying to start, um, an abortion fund for Eastern Wyoming. And, uh, other than that, like, if you have money to spare, find a rural place in America that you never think about and throw money at their abortion fund. You can go to nnaf.org and um, find like Arkansas or South Dakota or other other underfunded places that probably need help with access. We'll, so we'll put the links to those in the show notes uh, so people can find them easily. Um, Andrew Yang, someone said to me yesterday they liked my Twitter account because, quote, it's obvious, it's you. <laughs> high praise, and then a smiley face. I don't think that's... He found his voice. I don't think that's a high praise. <laughs> that doesn't sound it's right. praise you give when you're high. I think it was a <laughs> backhanded compliment that he didn't understand was backhanded. All right, well, um, yeah, I think that's it for the week. Uh, how do we end this show? I forgot. Oh, it's finished. It's finished. <laughs> All right. Cool.